0: You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geyser.
1: This month, we're reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by
0: Marilee Springer. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the SLP Book Club. You know, we've been thinking about things and we wanted to help you guys get to know us better. So we're going to be doing some games and some fun questions at the beginning of each episode. So stick around and we hope you learn something new and maybe have a laugh.
1: All right. So this week we're playing the game. Show me, you know me. Who's starting Adrian. You want to start?
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll start. My feelings about horoscopes and zodiac signs are as follows. Love them. They're great. Interesting to think about. Totally useless and bogus. I'll read them for a good laugh.
1: Okay. I feel like I know you on this one. You're going, love them. They're great. Except I don't know how much weight you put into horoscopes, but I know you care about zodiac signs.
0: Okay. See, this is just a softball because this was our first time doing this. I was <laughs> setting you up for success, not failure. Yeah. I really am into astrology, astrology girly for sure i love to do people's birth charts i feel like when somebody gives me their birth time i'm just like being handed the keys to the kingdom and then i just know everything about them (laughs) and i urge everybody to at least figure out your top three or your big three they're called which is your sun sign your moon sign and your rising sign because everybody knows their sun sign i am a leo But actually, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. So I'm not going to lecture everybody about astrology. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's really fascinating for me. I think it kind of has a lot to do with psychology. And that's why I really like it. It's also kind of fun to like blame, you know, things on it like, oh, you're only doing that because you're a Capricorn or whatever. Yeah. And then horoscopes kind of depends on where the horoscope is coming from.
1: Okay, so if it's From the Fresno Bee. Probably not.
0: No. In fact, I actually read something where it was a girl talking about how her first job, she was hired by like Teen Vogue and she was put on horoscopes. And she's like, I just made that up. Like every single one was just made up by a 20-year-old intern. Oh,
1: I made decisions about relationships in high school based on the horoscope. Broke up
0: with boyfriends before because of it what power what (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) gotta be careful how you wield that
1: yeah all right so let me do one for you ready yes okay instant ramen noodles are disgusting unhealthy and gross delicious I still eat them every now and again they're cheap and tasty college food I used to love them but left them in my past or never tried them no interest So I know you're
0: pretty healthy, but sometimes you can be a little naughty too. (laughs) So I think the best choice, most educated choice for me is going to be B, like you still eat them maybe sometimes, but it's not a staple.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I was going to say college food left them in the past because really I like to think of myself as a person who doesn't eat ramen noodles. (laughs) I don't identify as a ramen noodle eater anymore. sure. (laughs) But I certainly will get them I'd say once a year from the grocery store. Love a good real authentic ramen from a Japanese restaurant but from the store instant ramen once a
0: year maybe. So you're right. Okay. Spinoff question for you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Ramen or pho? If you have to choose an Asian soup, a hundred percent. What about you? It's tough. I I think I'm a big texture person, so I think I got to go with ramen because I sort of like the texture of the ramen noodle as opposed to like the the rice rice noodle. noodle. Okay. Okay. But I love the flavor of uh, yeah, you know the basil, the lime, that poison sauce, the purple. the oh, deep. Yeah, oh. the purple. <laughs> <laughs> wow, now we're hungry. I know.
1: <laughs> All right. So I feel like that was a good little icebreaker. You got to know us a little bit better. We got to know each other a little bit better. And now stick around because after the break, we're going to dive into this week's chapter. Do you love free stuff? This month, we'll be giving away a $100 Amazon gift card, plus a copy of next month's book, Take Time for You, Self-Care Action
0: Plans for Educators by Dr. Tina Bogren. Trust us, you guys. We're a new podcast, and your odds of winning this thing are pretty high. Please help us out and just think of all the amazing things you can get from Amazon. Maybe some self-care things if you want to stick with May's book thing. Some bubble bath, more books, wine. Did you know you can get wine from Amazon? Listen, we're not here to judge. Here's how to enter.
1: If you love the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple or Google Podcasts. Then take a screenshot of your review and email it to hello at the
0: slpbookclub.com. If you want extra entries in the drawing, post about an episode you loved on your Instagram stories with a link to the show and make sure to tag at SLP underscore book club. Please don't mention that it's part of a giveaway, and only post if you really do love the show. If you have any questions about how to enter, email us at hello at the SLP We've also included all of this information in the show notes. If you're more of a visual learner,
1: we'll be accepting entries until April 20th. Then we'll draw a winner. Good,
0: Good luck. luck.
1: Welcome back to the SLP book club podcast. It's a new month and we're reading a new book. This month, it's Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. And we chose this book because we wanted to cover social emotional learning. And this one is very highly reviewed. Lots of people said every person that works with kids, knows kids, walks by a kid should read this book. So we wanted to read it. I mean, I don't know about you, Adrian Personally, I just feel like maybe this is an area where I don't feel so confident when I'm working with students. I don't always know if I'm saying the right thing, if I'm supporting their social emotional learning. How do you feel about it?
0: It's interesting because I think there's a little bit of an overlap when we are teaching like social skills, right? Because there's a chapter in the book about empathy. And I feel like if you're working with a child on perspective taking, it's not exactly empathy, but the activities you do would probably look pretty much the same for both. So Yeah, I mean, I think we've dipped a toe in, but it's a little bit fringe for SLPs, right? It's like kind of on the outskirts of what we do, but we know that we have a really big umbrella that covers so many different things. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about this. And this book seems really great so far. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. All
1: right. So today we're going to be covering the introduction and chapter one. I'm just going to breeze through the introduction, go over a few things. So I'm going to call the author Mary Lee because I'm not 100% sure I'm saying her last name correctly. <laughs> but Marilee Lee says that social emotional learning and trauma informed practices should be foundational in our educational system because many students are affected by adverse childhood experiences or ACEs and positive child experiences can counteract some of the resulting trauma. And she says, every child has a story. We have the power to help rewrite those stories and reinforce others by building relationships with kids, helping students feel love and a sense of belonging, teaching them empathy, making them self-aware, helping them regulate their feelings, supporting them in social awareness, teaching them how to handle relationships, and teaching them how to choose and make wise decisions that will affect their future. So she gives a little background on herself, just that her childhood was difficult. She never believed she was good enough. She wasn't allowed to show her feelings or cry at home. She really didn't trust others, especially men. But she had two teachers who really saved her in first and fifth grade. And, you know, I think that that's one of her big points, which we've said before with a couple of the books we've read is that just one adult in a child's life can make a really, really big difference. And you could be that person for someone who's going through a hard time. Marilee gives us some background on her history as a student of the brain. She says that understanding the brain helps us rely on strategies that will activate the appropriate parts of the brain and be suitable for whatever experience you encounter. So, then she describes the brain structures and chemicals that are related to social emotional learning. I mean, we've learned a lot about the brain on this podcast. As we move through the book, she'll get into some more specifics. I'm not going to go into detail here and go through all of those, but you know, there are parts of the brain that are activated when you're scared, when you're fearful, and then other parts of the brain, like in the prefrontal cortex, that help you decide what steps to take if you're not in immediate physical danger. So she goes into detail, but we'll get more into that later in the book. And then she has a word she made up, celebrate, spelled with an S at the beginning, which stands for social emotional learning elicits brain responses appropriate to experience. So basically just social emotional learning is going to help our students choose the appropriate response in whatever situation they find themselves. And then she says we want them to not let emotion drive the bus, like. Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Because if we're all emotions, if a person's just acting all based on emotions, then we're not using much logic or thought. And then she talks about storytelling in the brain. And this sounded familiar to me from The Whole Brain Child. We know how important it is to retell stories of what happens to us because that helps integrate kids' brains. But she talks a lot about when we're reading stories or listening to stories, there's this cascade of chemicals. So, Adrian, I know you love to read. You are the biggest reader I know. And here's why you love it so much. When you're reading cortisol. I'm
0: addicted. I'm addicted to the chemicals. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she can't get enough. Cortisol's released because the story's unknown. So you have a lot of curiosity, you don't know what's going to happen next. Dopamine is released to keep you focused on what's going to happen. Oxytocin's released when we identify with characters in the story. So we know that I've heard this before that character-driven stories with emotional content result in better understanding of key points and better recall of information. So when you're even at young ages when you're reading books with kids, you should make sure they're ones with character in them that the kids can relate to and because storytelling is so powerful and memorable she wonders what other strategies cause the same that release of the same chemicals to provide lasting memories and good feelings and we're going to get into that in the book And then she goes through, you know, all the chapters of the book, but we're not really going to go through all of them right now because we're going to get straight into chapter
0: one. My one note that I had was about this sentence. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. According to John Medina, humans today could live to be 115 to 122 years old under ideal conditions. What? (laughs) 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 literally i just have that written down and then like wtf who wants to live to be 122 (laughs) is that exciting is that appealing Your body, I mean, pretty much your body starts feeling not great by like 32. Yeah. So you just only live with your body feeling good between the ages of one to 32 and then 32 to 122, (laughs) 90 years as your body slowly falls apart. I do worry about this because I don't
1: know if you know this, but the women on my mother's side live to be... I mean they live past 100. So my great grandma died when she was 103. My grandma is like so active and fit in her 90s now. So uh I have a long long life to look forward to and I need to I need to get my stress and everything mm. in order. The
0: cortisol to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need to balance out all these chemicals because yeah if you want to live a wow. long and happy life
0: anyway I just yeah she threw she threw a lot at us I know i was spiraling I, out she, about that I was like what? <laughs> I never heard that ever Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I think that's like if you were doing everything ideally
0: ideal conditions what a statement and it has nothing to do with social emotional.
1: I know. That's why it's not in my notes. I just breezed right by it. All right. I'm ready for chapter one. All right. Let's do it. So, chapter one is called Building Teacher Student Relationships. Building and maintaining relationships is the core of life. And she says that positive relationships between teachers and students have a massive impact on learning. And we need to model relationship building for our students. So she gives a story of a teacher, Sarah, who's really passionate about teaching history, but gets negative reviews from her students when it comes to adjusting material, when they're struggling, being available in and out of the classroom, or noticing that students are having difficulty. So the principal sits down with her, tells her, your students really need to trust you. They need to feel noticed as individuals. And they wrap up this part of the story. We're going to come back to it. But Sarah just says... I've never been good with relationships, and I don't relate to people well, and she's like, maybe I need to take a course. So when we're talking about the relationship between teachers and their students, Alan Beck, the founder of Advantage Academy, once said, you can't take care of the Bloom stuff until you take care of the Maslow stuff. And what he's talking about is Bloom's taxonomy, which is a hierarchy of learning objectives, which teachers are often focused on, but you can't get there until you take care of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. So you have to meet your students' basic needs, which include physiological needs, safety, belonging and love, esteem and self-actualization before you can get to those learning objectives. And social emotional learning gives students the opportunity to deal with stress and anxiety so they'll be able to focus on higher level thinking she discusses relationships and the brain. So when we form relationships, chemicals are released, our lower brain relaxes, and it allows new info to enter the brain in a calm way. So basically just Building bonds, forming relationships makes it so students can learn and take in information better. And now we'll get into the strategies for building teacher-student relationships. As I said, a single relationship with an adult can change the course of a student's life. Teachers spend more time with students than a lot of times any other adults, including their parents sometimes. And children are everyone's responsibility, and we can positively affect their brains because... I don't know if you know but children are the future (laughs) (laughs) so here are some ways that you can build relationships first display vulnerability be honest and transparent create a safe space for kids to also be vulnerable And so this means telling students if you're tired because you were up late or telling them when you make a mistake. Adrian, we've mentioned this before on the podcast. Kids love it when we make mistakes. (laughs) They just like to know you're human. And then in kids, vulnerability could look like them trying to answer a question, even when they're not sure of the answer or admitting that they overreacted to something another kid did. It's important to let kids know that we all fail sometimes and that's okay. The next way to Build these relationships is to greet students at the door. Merrily is a big proponent of greeting students at the door. A recent study showed that greeting and welcoming students each morning increases achievement by 20% and lowers disruptive behaviors by 9%. So, when you do greet kids, say their name, make eye contact, use friendly nonverbal greetings, give a few words of encouragement, and ask how their day is going.
0: I was thinking, you know, it's easy for us to greet students. And I know she has like a list about, you know, what you should do the criteria for greeting. But I was thinking for the speech room, it's pretty easy to do that. You know, you just greet them by name, smile at them, make eye contact, ask them a little something. And I think that just makes every kid feel so noticed and seen. It goes a long way.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking I worked in elementary school. So with some kids, I could just call and have them sent over. But for the most part, I picked my kids up. So I walked to the classes, picked them up. Sometimes I had a long walk with one student where I really could just talk to them about what was going on. So and you know, I think we're going to get into it, but later she says kids just want people to listen to them and they don't get a lot of opportunity in a class of 20 to 30 kids. The teacher doesn't necessarily have a lot of time for all their individual stories. So a lot of times I'd pick up my little second graders and just (laughs) (laughs) like they just unleash everything that's going on in their life to me. You know, they do just want someone to talk to. So yeah, for me, the greetings I think this is more for teachers. Obviously, it's important not to just when your kids come in, not to just be sitting at your desk focused on something else while they all take their seats to be at that door, letting them know that you're happy they're there today and that you look forward to seeing them every day. All right. And then. She said saying goodbye is just as important as greeting. They'll know you care if you leave your desk and your papers for a few minutes to say goodbye or tell them you look forward to seeing them tomorrow. The next way to build relationships is to tell your story. The brain takes information and puts it in story form as it tries to make sense of the world. So talking about yourself, your family, and your activities helps build rapport with your students. You can involve them in a problem and ask them to help you with a solution. This will really connect them to you. And they also gave an example of a teacher who puts her students in the story that she tells. So they gave an example she was telling about the Civil War and just really describing what their day would be like waking up and going to war in the uniform and, you know, kind of really putting their kids into the story. And that makes it more powerful, the whole thing. So this is kind of, unre- I feel like this veered <clears throat> off, like, are we telling yeah, our so, story? Yeah, I like telling a
0: Civil War <laughs> story. <laughs> Well, I was thinking like, I know. <laughs> Laura, how did you share your story when you were in a school? Because I really love to do this. I'm be, I'm a teletherapist now, so I don't have like a speech room. But when I did, I loved to have pictures of my family up on the wall or like my daughter or my dog. And I felt like that was a really great conversation starter for kids. They would walk over like, who's that? I would talk about them a little bit or every, you know, if I see kids Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, closer to the weekend, coming out of the weekend, I like to ask most kids in the beginning of the session, like, how was your weekend? What did you do? And then I like to share at least one thing I did. So I don't know, I just I feel like it does go a long way with them. I'm surprised what some of the kids remember, or they'll ask curious questions about, oh, what's your daughter's name? Or, you know, I can just tell that it goes a long way with rapport.
1: Yeah. And I think that I wasn't Before the pandemic, I wasn't sharing very much about myself. Usually, my kids knew that I had dogs. You know, I used to have a dog named Stinky. They always loved that name, (laughs) but they didn't know much. And then during the pandemic, when I was in their house and they were in my house, (laughs) it got to be more, they could hear my dogs barking. Right. One girl that I worked with knew I had a fiance and she would always want it. She wanted to say hi to him so bad. Every time she was on, she's like, where's your fiance? Hi, fiance. And I was like, he can't hear you. (laughs) <laughs> this kind of struck a chord with me because I have had kids who thought that I lived at the school yeah. like they really did. they never even pictured
0: that I went home
1: to my house you know
0: well so, it's weird don't you remember being like, young and you'd see like your teacher in the grocery store and you would just be like what oh my is this gosh. person doing mind blown <laughs>
1: All right. So then she'll talk about this more, but involving kids in a problem. I think that Dale Carnegie in the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People says this, that people like when you ask them for their help with something, especially if you know it's a strength. Like, hey, I know that you really like video games. I was thinking of getting this for my nephew. What do you think? You know, having a kid connecting with them about something in your life could really go a long way. Our next one is using five ways to show you care. So the five ways are providing structure, making sure that rules are fair and being consistent with your expectations. Offer choices. We know that kids love autonomy and wanna be involved in decisions. Show interest. So ask a lot of questions about their lives, about their interests. Be optimistic. So show your kids that you believe in their ability to succeed and acknowledge their feelings. Another way is to write notes to your students. I love this. Just let them know what you appreciate or how you liked some of their work. So you could write a note that's folded up in an envelope to your students, or you could just use sticky notes to point out something that they did that you liked, put it on their desk, on their locker, on their notebook. Be a name caller. So... Be the person who knows students' names. And I have a story that drives me crazy about this. When I got started in this field, before I even went back to school to be a speech therapist, I was an aide for one girl. Her main point of contact, her main teacher where she spent most of her time at school was this woman who was terrible with names. She always called me Lauren, and then she always called her student who she'd had for multiple years, Christina, when the girl's name was Christine. And it just drove me nuts. I think mm-hmm. that if you don't take the time to learn people's names, even if they've told you repeatedly what it is, it just shows that you are so
0: self-involved. You you don't care about other people. <laughs> yeah, it's like to make a mistake and then not correct it, you know, despite being told it's like, how many times does somebody have to tell you? And then it gets awkward for sure. So yeah. Yikes.
1: Certainly at the beginning of the year, maybe we mix up some of our kids when we have new kids on our massive caseloads. Sure. By one month in, you should be calling all your kids by name. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She points out it's important for students to hear their own names pronounced correctly with a positive connotation. Of course. Our next strategy is to call on each student regularly. Be fair in how you show kids you care. Don't just call on the kids who are always raising their hands. And then go the extra mile. So attend extracurricular activities that your students are involved in or run them yourself. She suggests that you could ride the bus with a student who's scared or doesn't know anybody. Send positive notes home. These are very optimistic suggestions. Make home visits. I mean, for a teacher, maybe I know that home visits happen at times. Yeah. Call a student after a bad day and learn an English learner's native language. Just a few common words and phrases so that you can show them that you care about them. And then she suggests the two times 10, or is it two by 10 strategy? It is a strategy where you spend two minutes per day for 10 consecutive days talking with an at-risk student about anything the student wants to talk about. It takes the pressure off of both of you and it's just a brief intervention you can use to build relationships and it's really helpful for dealing with disruptive students. Some teachers think that they don't have time to do the two-minute talk with a student but just think about the time you spend correcting behavior and how if you spent that time doing this relationship building activity you would cut down on all that correcting that you're doing it actually in the long run gives you more time because you build these relationships with your kids and then they're less disruptive assign seats is the next strategy when you assign seats in a classroom your students know that they have a place in the class they have a sense of belonging and it makes school and the classroom a safe place I know when I go into a room that has unassigned seating I do feel very lost and is it okay if I sit here? Yeah. And then schedule advisories. So this would be a daily get together. I haven't worked at a school where you have advisories. I think that's in middle school and high school, but it's a really sacred space. It builds relationships with other students and one trusted adult. The kids are able to share feelings, listen respectfully and comment in positive ways. And the adult oversees the dialogue that takes place. This can have a really calming effect and prepare students emotionally for the academic day. Merrilee says every day is best, but two days a week for advisory would also be okay. Another way to build relationships is to conduct morning meetings. So open with the greeting You could do a sharing activity where kids share things from their lives, things that are going on. She suggests a group activity called River Runs Through Us, where one person stands in the middle of the circle and everyone's in chairs. And you'd say something like, I'm Miss Laura. I have a dog. And a river runs through us. And then everybody who has a dog has to get up out of their seats And then scramble around and try to find another seat, (laughs) including me. And whoever's left standing makes the next comment. So by the time you're done with the game, you know everyone's name and something you have in common with them. And then she suggests forming a lunch bunch, which we had a clinic supervisor in grad school who, when she worked at a school, had a lunch bunch that was very popular, apparently. She used to always tell me about it, and I always liked it. And Mm -hmm. right before the pandemic, I had a student who we were having difficulty motivating her in school, but she loved me. And it was unfortunate. We had her IEP, and then school shut down I think the week later but her mom and I had talked about how we were going to start motivating her by using lunch with me as a reward (laughs) and she was so excited about it and then we never got to do it but it's something to consider even for you know for speech therapists if you have a group where you can get together with them at lunch and just talk and I think it's really special for the
0: kids. Well I was going to tell the story about how one year I think it was the year, yeah, before the pandemic. I wanted a reward system, but I didn't want something that was like trinkets or candy. And on Teachers Pay Teachers, I found a really great resource that was a non-tangible reward system, basically. And, you know, the kids would earn hole punches on their cards. And once they got 10, they got to choose their reward. And it was really great. It was like a game of your choice. Sit in the teacher's chair was like very popular. (laughs) They got to be in my chair the whole session. They loved that one. Take Your Shoes Off During Speech was also pretty popular. Oh, my Um, (laughs) god! There was like coloring, read a book. But the most popular of all was Eat Lunch With Me. Wow. And I would let them choose. I would let them bring a friend, like a non-speech friend. We would like pick the day and the lunchtime. They would come. They'd be so excited. We would sit at the kidney table and eat lunch together. We would chat. We would play a game if we had time. And it was just so fun. And like, I was always so flattered that, you know, the most rewarding thing for them was coming and having lunch with me. It was just so sweet.
1: Spending time with you. Yeah. Yeah. So the last one is just to nurture relationships. So once you've established a relationship, By using greetings, asking a lot of questions, making time for one-on-one time with your kids, then you need to maintain it by checking in with them regularly, recognizing good behavior, keeping your interactions positive, and then also repair any breakdowns that you have in that relationship. So avoid holding mistakes over kids' heads. Criticize only behavior, not the actual student. Take responsibility when you had a part in a problem that comes up, and just always make things right with kids if something does break down. So she just wraps up the chapter. You know, every time she does a little, every student has a story part at the end. But she comes back to Sarah, that teacher. She started using the two by 10 strategy and the perception her students had of her really began to change. Even though she was only doing it with a couple kids, it kind of spread. Her students were telling other students that she did care about them and she was taking time to connect with them. She said, sometimes with students... It's difficult to remember that they are not there to give us a hard time, rather they are having a hard time. And I think we all need to remember that. (laughs) It's it's really important to remember that Behavior, there's so much more to behavior. They're trying to communicate something to you when they're acting out when they're being disruptive, they're communicating to you that something's going on with them. And it's not just that they're out to ruin your day. So I Remember, all students need is one caring adult in their lives to make a difference. And then she gives you some examples of ways you can react to different things kids say, different things that come up. Those are on page 37 if you want to look at that little chart. But that is it for chapter one building relationships, building that teacher-student relationship. That's really the foundation for social-emotional learning. Once you've got that trust there with a kid, then they can really be open to learning. We hope you are excited about this book as much as we are. We will see you next time when we'll be discussing chapter two, and that will be covering empathy. So we'll see you next time. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura.
0: The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made
1: all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials.
0: To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com.
1: You can contact us by emailing hello at the SLPbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore bookclub. Find us on TikTok at the SLP Book Club.